0: Hey, beautiful healing people, welcome to Kindred Medicine, a sacred storytelling podcast. I'm Dr. Sheena. I'm soft spoken but powerful. And I'm your host and the creator of Kindred Medicine, an online directory of healers of color for the people and a growing community boldly healing from the roots. I love how stories have the power to live in the past, present, and future at once, how they heal, how they witness, how they bring us together. Kindred Medicine, the podcast, is a collection of stories, lessons, and memoirs. Thanks for being here. Let's get into the story. These are real stories told in rawness by our amazing community members. And here at Kindred Medicine, being seen and heard in our humanity is at our core, to experience depth and range in our emotions as we hold space and witness each other. Please take care of yourself in your witnessing. Hi, Ison.
1: Hi, Dr. Sheena.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, it's so beautiful to be here. (laughs) I am looking forward to the magic that happens in the story. If it feels okay, I'd love to share with the community a little bit more about you. Mm, Of course, yes, thank you. (laughs) All right, so Aysen Farag is an indigenous medicine person of Egyptian, Amazigh, Moinyang, and Kukubari heritage. Over the last decade, Aysen has focused on working with plant medicines from her ancestral lineage while also developing relationships to the land of her current residence, on Turtle Island. She has been working diligently to revive her ancestors' old traditions and sacred ceremonies that were lost due to colonialism and offers support and mentorship to others wanting to deepen into their own ancestral traditions, whether known to them or not. In addition, she is a mother, a writer, and ceremonial healer. Isen's greatest dream is to redefine the narratives of African indigenous and diasporic people with the beauty, wisdom, and grace that they deserve. She believes that the root of reclaiming one's power is through understanding the true power of language and storytelling, and giving voice to your deepest truth. Well, let's see what happens with this story that you um, that you're going to be sharing. Would you like to say a little bit about? what you're going to share with us today.
1: Mm -hmm. So this is a small excerpt from the book I am currently working on called Grief Medicine. And um, it's a story about reclaiming my ancestral um, heritage and uh, really looking at the effects of colonialism as they're still happening today, um, as well as other things like the you know, the power of remembering your ancestral languages and um, other practices such as the ceremonies and and plant medicines that they particularly use through understanding and moving through grief. Mm
0: -hmm. This, this is such an important story because I see so many of our community members um, beginning this journey with Mm -hmm. measured intention, right? Recognizing um, that there is much more that we, much more to know, much more to remember in ways that'll support our evolution individually and, and collectively. Um, okay, so I, I'm i ready. I'm ready. Are you ready?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm excited. Um, so this is, it's still in its rough draft form, but um I feel that it's enough to to share to get an idea and a feel for where my heart was as I was writing this.
0: Yeah, well, my heart is in the raw, the rawness. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rough draft is appropriate here. And <laughs> um, that is medicine. So um, I hold that. I hold that in witnessing you tell the story. Uh, may your story be heard across realms. May it be felt in the hearts of many May telling it bring healing for you and for all. Ashe. Thank you so much. Okay.
1: My name is Aisin Farag. Aisin means moonlight reflected on the water. It is both my spirit name and the name I was born with. I was born in Egypt and had moved to Canada at a very early age. Biologically, I am a mixture of several ethnic groups from the North Africa region along the Nile River, ranging from the north of Egypt to the south of Sudan. On my pater- my paternal side, I am part Moinyang, otherwise known as the Dinka, and Amazigh Egyptian. Amazigh is the preferred name chosen by our people, otherwise known as Bear Bear. And from my mother's side, there are parts of me from the Kukubari and Moinyang tribes. Despite all of the various lines of ancestry, the area of North Africa along Upper Egypt and the Sudan has a very distinct vibration for me. I consider myself to be privileged in some ways as many diasporic Africans don't know about their tribal and indigenous heritages. I am lucky in some ways to have an understanding of a large part of my history. I am lucky that my parents had been steadfast about letting my sisters and I know where we came from, in all manners of ways, from the stories they told us as children, to the food that we ate, and the music we listened to, to the prayers we made. I didn't always feel this way, however, it was something that I came to honor over time. It has taken me much time and effort to discover the work of my ancestors their practices and beliefs about the world, and the story of our origins. It is important to me because I want to honor and cherish the wisdom that belonged to my people in order to reclaim them because they hold many keys to living a good life that is much needed today. While it's hard to pinpoint just one gateway into my journey of ancestral healing, it was always something underlying that walked with me for most of my life. I didn't always have that vocabulary though, but I know I've always felt an indescribable longing for home. When I was a little girl, I wanted nothing more than a sense of belonging. I grew up in a neighborhood mainly populated by white faces, while cultural differences were clearly highlighted, with more than just the food I ate at lunch or how I looked. I didn't know a lot of the children's songs that my classmates would sing and every time I would need a new teacher or parent. And pronouncing my name was such a challenge that I would just give in and no longer correct them out of my own embarrassment. And sometimes the same teacher who had already known me for months would continue to mispronounce my name. I hated my name and for many years wanted to change it, being anything remotely that resembled who I was and my culture and ancestral heritage It felt like a stain that I could never clean off. Trying to explain to other kids my age that I am a dark-skinned Egyptian was a challenge, since most of whom they've encountered were fair-skinned and wore a veil on their head. Even in our own homeland of Egypt, we would face racism from being both dark-skinned and an Amazigh minority. I tried very hard to change, like many young people do to fit in. I listened to music that I didn't like and spoke in ways that were unnatural to me, if only to be liked and respected or accepted by others. This feeling about myself and my differences went on well into my adult years, where I felt that if only I could have the acceptance and approval of those who were white, would I feel validated somehow. This one was the hardest to face. And it was an old program belief system that was running through me that I didn't realize until well into my adulthood when I finally started to notice that I had a deep well of unexpressed grief. Although, to be honest, I knew deep down that I had felt grief for most of my life. The act of naming it only happened as an adult in my early 20s. As a child, not only was I dealing with this sense of otherness, But I was also experiencing physical violence within the family, night terrors, chronic fatigue, malabsorption and malnutrition, chronic parasitic infections that continued into adulthood, dangerously low iron levels, anxiety, depression, and then caring for my parents who were experiencing severe chronic illness. And then as a young woman in my 20s, I experienced sexual trauma as well. All of these things seemed to be running in the background as I felt like I was functioning on autopilot because I learned from a very young age about loss and learning to cope with situations that were outside of my control. When I was in my 20s, I was told by an Ayurvedic doctor that I was in a state of chronic depletion as I felt that I was fighting to constantly keep up with having to make sure what I consumed and the environment I was in had to be so specific to my needs that nothing could be simple anymore. Not only was it alienating, but it was also a constant game of catch-up that was very tiring because it seemed that no matter how much I tried following the rules of a holistic lifestyle, no real fundamental changes were happening. I was doing my best to navigate these cycles of extreme tiredness while being being keenly aware that it may have appeared on the surface to others that I was lazy because I was always quote unquote resting or that it appeared I was unable to take care of very basic things for myself. This fatigue was so severe at times that I was afraid to fall asleep because it felt as if one day my body might just give out and die. Sometimes I would be in mid-sleep and it felt like my body wanted to just give up, being unable to move or to wake. I would pray fervently to Spirit to help me wake up and allow my body to move again. The pain and the weight of the fear from appearing like I needed others to do things for me and that I couldn't step up to personal accountability caused such deep feelings of shame. It was so hard to explain to others why I couldn't respond to their communication right away or even step outside of my house. As a result, I had lost many friends that way. I came to the point where I became fed up with myself and would go out to work or social events while not even taking care of myself by first eating a meal or making sure I wore comfortable shoes or enough layers to keep warm because it felt that if I didn't get up and go immediately, I would never actually get up and go and then another day would pass where I would have accomplished nothing. I had courses that I signed up for but never finished and I would beat myself up thinking I just couldn't focus but it wasn't until I met a healer along the way who pointed out that I was just tired and that the tiredness was really a result of depression. And then it really hit me that my chronic fatigue and list of other ailments and traumas all had to do with grief and my inability to find a way to express it and be witnessed in it without feeling judged. But before meeting that healer, it took several years of recurring cycles of job and relationship instability, accumulated financial debt and home insecurity before I really understood what was happening to me eventually realizing that I could no longer ignore the depth of feeling I had for the things I lost and had longed for the most. And during those years, other things were happening. I had taken a course on Ayurveda and yoga and had met a colleague there who by serendipity met another healer working in the Kiero tradition that had done some soul retrieval work on her. At the time, I didn't know what this was, but there was a longing deep inside me that felt I needed to meet this healer. And eventually I did, and we did healing work together for a few years before I decided to study with her formally because I recognized something in her that I needed to see within myself. And although I didn't know entirely what it was at the time, I knew it wasn't to be found in a partnership with someone and it wasn't to be found in a new job. Working with my teacher, I could finally see the faint vision of myself that I knew wanted to come out. Every so often, when I looked at my reflection in the mirror, it was as if I could quietly hear drums beating and could feel the vibration emanating from my heart. Even my dreams started accelerating in their ability to show me new things I didn't know about myself and my ancestry. Things about being a healer and working with plant medicines and feeling a deep resonance to ancestral homelands and having visitations from deceased loved ones and hearing their languages being spoken to me. It was during one of the ceremonies spent with my teacher that a huge shell was broken open and finally I could just see. I remembered why I came to this earth at this time and that the sadness I was aware of since I had been a child was necessary so that I could access the gifts of grief earlier on in life and to allow me to reach my gifts sooner. About a couple months after that life-changing ceremony, I had a dream that helped me feel safe enough to take the plunge and quit the job I had at the time after having stayed there for only two years. I had no real plan, only that I needed to leave. And on my last day of work, when I came home, boxes filled with my office possessions in hand, I spontaneously left my partner at the time as well. I feel that I was moved by a force greater than myself as it all happened so quickly. There was so much grief and loss during that time. It was harder than previous times, I believe, because... This time I was more aware of patterning that was causing me to act and react in certain ways, yet not knowing how to change it. But I now see that it was about reaching a different type of success, one where I no longer relied on my external circumstances for my self-esteem, for my sense of security, self-worth, and to allow me to feel safe in my body. It had taken a long time to get there, and still some days I am challenged by this. This journey was a road filled with many twists and turns, many karmic attachments, many old contracts that I unknowingly made based on wounding and systemic pain brought on by the generations of colonialism. There was so much going on that at times it was very hard to ever think I could raise myself up out of the waters to breathe. But I have, and I stayed alone for a good time sorting through the complexity. And in 2016, I met my ex-husband, whom together we have a child, and she has been the greatest gift. I was personally surprised by how much anger and grief I felt during the pregnancy of my child. It seemed that the transition into motherhood brought about so much pain and anger and how female bodies are being severely mistreated around the world, and how colonization is still wreaking havoc on both indigenous people of color and non-indigenous people to this day. I feel that the pregnancy was able to do this because of how it brought me so close to my body. Pregnancy was a 24-hour constant relationship to my body that I had to feel every inch of, just by virtue of being pregnant. I can no longer escape the feelings in my body that I didn't want to have. And so I had to feel them. I had to feel the pain that I inherited from my ancestors. In my heritage, we believe that women are the holders of the ancestors because ancestors are born through the womb. This is not to say that those who identify in male bodies don't feel the connection to the ancestors, but the potency of pregnancy brings a deepening into the body that is uniquely felt by those who can carry a child. Pregnancy for me was not entirely the experience that people like to romanticize about the sweetness and rosy glow of motherhood. Although at times that this was there for me too, but really it had to do with all the things I didn't make the space to identify within my body before. As an indigenous person of color, Our bodies have been the place of of oppression and war for generations. And so the weight of this had reached its height for me through the creating of my baby. It was a blessing because these emotions needed to be acknowledged by me in order to allow myself to be heard. And I am grateful to have had the opportunity to do so while pregnant so that I wouldn't pass unresolved wounding onto my child. The grieving for me, each time, brought with it a deepening. A deepening of courage, a deepening of trust, and a deepening of listening to my own truth and then finding the courage to speak it. Sometimes it felt as if I was being bombarded with grief, but then I remembered that starting a grieving process, when there have been generations of unexpressed grief, is actually a normal feeling to have. It was like working through a backlog of grief that has been untouched by the ancestors, we did not have the space and time to integrate, heal, and connect with it due to the force stripping away of their land, their language, and ceremonial practices, which caused the spiraling of misfortune and harm being both received and acted upon each other, and then not being able to grieve that either. This grief was constantly showing me where I have chosen to allow external situations to take advantage of me and my ability to create the world That I wanted. They are expressions of the alignment that was necessary in order for me to come to a higher truth. It had brought me face-to-face to feelings of loss that were ultimately triggering a deeper sadness, which was the grief of the loss of my connection to myself and my unexpressed truth that over time created a sense of depravity that I believe as humans we all experience at some point in our lives. There were also moments when I had come head to head with understanding my own potentially violent capabilities by virtue of being a human, not that I did anything violent nor had the intention to, but I could now see that the abuse of power I had experienced that was acted out on me since I was a child had to do with severely repressed emotion. I discovered that unexpressed grief and also fear were the real forces behind anger. Now there are days where I continue to feel the challenges of generational wounding and anger, from grief that wasn't grieved. The rite of passage of pregnancy and motherhood was happening to me as my mother's health simultaneously took a turn for the worse. As I entered the gateway of motherhood, my own, ch- uh, my own mother had started her journey back homewards to spirit before having the chance to meet her first grandchild. A grief I had to par- bear witness to because of how deeply she desired to have children and how I longed for a mother, and elder, to walk me through this rite of passage rather than walking it alone. During the days of her passing, although unable to speak, I could feel in her silence a speaking that shared with me the necessity of making space for grief, that somehow the way she was exiting the world had something to do with not allowing herself the validity of her own emotions. I remember that as a child, every time there was a slavery narrative or a showcase of Black History Month, my parents would react by wishing it would disappear and saying that slavery is over and that people should move on. In their voices, I could sense a feeling of embarrassment. I understood their perspective that these narratives were triggering, and at the same time, there was a huge need for narratives that celebrated the beauty and wisdom of the African diaspora, but often these more powerful and life-affirming narratives were overlooked. What I want to make known is that the atrocities of colonialism are still wreaking havoc among the entire continent of Africa, and continues to pervade in the lives of all the people who have migrated either through choice or force to other places in the world. Not only this, is this experience in the continuous lack of stable political, social, and economic infrastructure in African countries and for diasporic African people, but also through the systemic racism experienced through the narratives we create and perpetuate about who African people are. One night some years ago, I was fighting sleep, but felt drawn further and further into a vision I saw. It was my deceased grandmother, and another ancestor whom I didn't recognize visually but felt deeply that I knew, were running joyfully beckoning me to come to them, and they grabbed me by the hand, saying they had something to tell me. They took me to a place where I saw more members of my ancestry a woman wearing her hair and long braids, and two others who seemed to be her brother and sister. They were down on their knees, holding each other as a staunch military officer was looming directly above while aiming a rifle at them. And what they showed me next was so surprising. While the horrifying scene was playing out, at the same time I could see their internal thoughts and feelings. The beautiful bursts of golden energy, as they kept repeating, were from the same hatch. They were exclaiming that regardless of what was happening to them, they came from the same family, a strong family, and that they were proud of who they were and asking me to be proud too. Because of our beautiful, unique lineage and ancestry, no matter what happens on the outside, there is always something potent that will forever link us together. And that day, they taught me to see the beauty in all things, no matter how horrific. And that pride is not necessarily a bad thing, but something that I've come to grow into, to heal my sense of self and to take pride in who I am. I see in my face and in the faces of my family, generations of our ancestry. In all honesty, there was a period of time that looking at my face in the mirror would bring about pain, because I could see their faces so clearly. What once was felt as a burden is now a symbol of beauty. Who I am and where I come from are jewels that I have gratefully rediscovered and choose to honour in every moment that I can. This ancestral knowledge, what I started out by saying gave me a feeling of privilege, I believe is actually a right, and it is something that I wish may be ignited for all may we all find the beauty in our blood
0: thank you for such a rich story thank you for the vulnerability I'm grateful for all those that are standing with you as you told that story Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to sense the power and connection there too how is that for you it feels
1: good it feels important to share that story um it was a little bit harder than i thought um but i think that it's like i I feel my ancestors wanting to share it for them not just for me but it's like they they have some things to say too and I'm here in this body and so I am being present for them and allowing them to move through me and speak through me too. Yeah
0: it's both Mm -hmm. and that it was something that you felt drawn to do and that they had some they had their own agenda. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, What was hard about sharing it you you said you were a little bit surprised by that
1: mm-hmm. um I think that uh you know there's it's easy to share some stories right there's things like um for me anyway stories that I have shared before that felt um familiar you know that you sort of practice and you understand it's like okay colonialism and you know there's a history behind it um but then there are other more personal things about the abuse I've experienced um, mm-hmm. and the different traumas I've gone through that I I have actually kept very quiet until fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it, it's it's hard because bringing voice to that makes it more and more real each time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I get that. Um, we certainly have these ways of being able to tuck some of those experiences away, um, not that they're less real or less true, mm-hmm. but saying them and sharing them with other people kind of brings them back to life in, in a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to acknowledge your intuition and courage and rawness and sharing that with us and more importantly for you and for your ancestors that you're recognizing that naming that part of your experience offers space for healing. Mm -hmm. There were so many things in your story that stood out and that I've, you know, find myself curious about and, um, You talked about chronic depletion, and I felt my body react to that as a person of color in this Mm -hmm. world. Um, It was specific to your circumstance, but it also sounds like something that many of us may be able to relate to and maybe don't have the language for. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, chronic depletion. And then you started to talk about how, you know, at first – you it was that you were tired right and then well you were tired because you were depressed and you were depressed because of the grief and the grief was and I felt like you could have continued going on Mm
1: -hmm. there
0: and that reminds me of the multi-generational ancestral trauma right it's that you're tired in this realm and your tiredness in this realm is connected to the grief of our ancestors or the grieving Mm -hmm. that comes about in the story of our ancestors and then their story and their tiredness it's all connected
1: yes Mm -hmm. and and I mean they made us right they we are a a physical representation of their body and um, I remember once long ago I I mean I'm not gonna you know, don't quote me on this, I don't know how how accurate it is, but um, somebody did tell me that I believe it's our, I, I don't know, something about our muscles or our bones that um, they're supposed to regenerate every 10 years or something like that. I don't know what the actual mm-hmm. um, figure is, but she brought it up because she was talking about chronic illness. And how could something be chronic if technically you're in a state of regeneration Mm. and so there's that connection to things that are actually intangible you know like if you have this pain in your body like when i um when i was younger i i had an illness that actually created scoliosis in my spine Mm-hmm. So I have this now. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's actually I don't even feel it to be honest, but um, it was a problem for me in, in being able to walk when when I was younger. And, um, you know, it's like, I, I have gone back and, and the curve in my spine is still there. And to me, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, I wonder, like, if my bones and, and my body are supposed to be regenerating, why is this happening and so it's showing you that there's like this um memory in the body right it, it's still there and sometimes you don't even know what the source is and um i i feel like that all has to do with the energy and the unresolved expressions of, of emotion and, and grief that were happening generations ago
0: right yeah i i you're speaking my language. I I agree um, that the stories and the lives of our ancestors show up in our bodies um, biologically through our DNA and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. in, in our sense of connection to spirit and our intuition and um, in our blood, right? And um, what I really appreciate about your story, particularly when you were talking about the rite of passage of a pregnancy and um, what that particular moment in life means um, in your connection with your ancestors and how while being pregnant, it was sort of brought you into your body um, in a way that you hadn't been present before. So there was this then embodiment of the grief embodiment Mm -hmm. of the story embodiment of the weaving that happens between um ancestors and creation of life Mm -hmm. and um we have so much power when we're tuned in and when we're paying attention and when we're invested in decolonizing that Mm -hmm. we have the ability and capacity to heal ourselves Um, to notice what happens in our spines and what Mm -hmm. might have been going on in that particular part of your life and how that might have been something that your ancestors had to endure as well. Mm -hmm. And so when we're able to recognize that and we pause um, and acknowledge what do we do with it and how can that change the game, right? How can that change Mm -hmm. our sense of embodiment in the present realm and how does it offer something to our ancestors um, mm. in, their heal- in their healing as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say you said it so perfectly.
0: I am mm. just so honored to reflect your story and what I hear um, as medicine, you know? Mm, thank med- you so much. I yeah, have one more question for you before we go. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, I ask this question every episode. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can, if you could gift anything, imaginary, energetic, spiritual, or otherwise to someone in your story, what would it be? Mm, wow. That's an
1: interesting question. Um, I would actually gift to three people, which is um, my mom who passed away, and I would like to give her so much love for her courage and bravery Mm. for going through what she went through. Um, And I would like to gift um, for my father as well, because I understand that his traumas were um, what were causing him to react in certain ways and to be the father that he was and um, I'd also like to give to maybe the little Ison that uh, was growing up um, also love and compassion that uh, you know she doesn't have to feel scared to be in her body anymore
0: Ashing may those gifts <laughs> be received <laughs> thank you Thanks again for being here. You're invited to take a moment with me to honor this story with breath, taking one full vibrant inhale and a deep cleansing exhale. These moments and these stories are yours and ours, and this is a labor of deep love by yours truly, if you'd like to support this sweet movement, share your energy by making an offering via cash app at Kindred kindredmedicine or via PayPal, heal at kindredmedicine.com. Please also take a moment to subscribe, like, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay close on the gram at Kindred Medicine, and of course, send the healers. Tell them they are needed here. Visit our site at www.kindredmedicine.com to join our community, to add your own healer listing to the directory, and to recommend your favorite trusted healers of color, and to search for healers in your area. Sending infinite love to Felicia Oni Richards at Love for sharing her music medicine, Barasuwayo, a song for Eshu. Check out the podcast page on our site to learn more about her and to find episode show notes. May healing come soon. Peace.